Okay, so it's a great pleasure to meet you here tonight at the Beyond Zero EV launch. Penny Sackett, uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, I haven't kept track of what you've been up to since you were chief scientist. What, what, what have you been doing? Well, you know, partly the experience of being chief scientist really made me realise the importance of climate change and also the opportunities of a low-carbon economy. And so a lot of the work that I've been doing has been in that realm. I'm lucky enough to sit on the ACT Climate Change Council, for example, also on their board of Renewable Energy Innovation Fund. I've been working with colleagues overseas in Germany, um, and I have my own little consultancy. You have a life, of course. Now, from what you said, did you see the climate change as an opportunity as well as a threat? Did I pick that up correctly from you? I think reacting to the reality of climate change gives us an opportunity. And that opportunity is to have a, to have a, a world that is cleaner air, that has new opportunities for businesses, not just in the energy sector, but in all sorts of sectors, um, in reducing the carbon footprint of the world. Um, I think that we will become more modernized and more connected uh, because of climate change. Do, do, do you think that the public are turned off by the relentless negative news, you know, the great threats, and the people who say this is too difficult, so we, we just can't cope with it? Well, of course, um, it, it, is a, it, it, it is a threat, and, and people have heard that. Um, and, I, and I think you're right that hearing it again and again and again doesn't necessarily shift their position. But I do think that what can make a difference is action. So not just talking, but actually doing. And that's what the ACT has been doing. The fact that we will, in the ACT, have 100% renewable electricity supply by 2020. That's not just talking, that's doing. It can be done. And by the way, we have one of the lowest electricity prices in Australia at the same time. Well, it, it is a great story, but I'm wondering, how do we overcome the hurdles? Because there are many obstacles between here and there, are there not? There's always obstacles. There's obstacles, uh, you know, to life. Um, if, if, if you don't have any obstacles, you're not alive. Um, but I think that those obstacles are, many of them are rapidly decreasing, and that's a message that's not getting out to people. So, for example, the rapid decline in the price of solar and wind energy, the rapid decline of the cost of batteries for storage of renewable energy, it's it's happening very, very quickly over just a few years, um, and it's not a message that people... Are, I think are hearing, so they might be basing some of their their thoughts on what they knew was true ten years ago. But it's a different world now. Do, do you think the hardest thing is changing people's thinking? Then I think there are several hurdles, but you know, I also th- uh, in terms of changing people's thinking, there's another misperception, and that is that um, that most Australians don't believe in climate change. That's actually false, but it's not a story that you hear a lot. So, and it has to do, I think, with with you know who are the noisier 
who are the noisiest voices at times. So um, I'm not so convinced, actually, that people's minds have to be changed. I think there's some of that, but I think a lot of it is showing them the path, showing them there is a way. And, and, and then I think um, people will choose to take that path. Now, in ACT, as you say, we're leading the way, but federally, maybe not. What about the political class? How do we, people who are concerned about these things, shift their action, and they're, they're not just their thinking, but the action of the political class? Well, so at the national level, um, I think what will be an important factor is considering international trade. Now, Australia's top 15 trading partners... Um, have all ratified the Paris Agreement, as has Australia. Okay, that accounts for 80% of Australia's trade. That means that, in fact, there has been an agreement to of no more than two degrees warming by 2050 by Australia and its top trading partners. Now, in order to reach that... There are, are signposts that have goalposts that have to be met along the way. And, those, and so what I guess I'm saying is that um, I imagine there's going to be some peer pressure brought to bear within this larger community. So Australia should be seen as leaders, not laggards? Exactly, and they have the opportunity to do it. And when we hear things like Australia is only 1.5% of the, carb- the world's carbon footprint, well, within the context of their trading partners, they have a lot more power. They have a lot more influence to, that they can be brought to bear. And when you talk about the political class, I just want to mention, too, uh, the, politi- the subnational political class, that is, politicians that operate at the state, territory, and, and city level. Now, there is a lot of activity going on, which, again, people are not necessarily aware of. But two-thirds of Australians live in a geographical location where there is a net zero emission policy by 2050 or sooner. It's not a national policy. It's the policy of South Australia or the ACT or the City of Sydney or New South Wales, uh, Victoria, and so forth. And so Australians are doing something. Uh, and the political class, particularly at the subnational level, is moving. So you think we should celebrate our successes as much as anything? I think it's what you're saying, right? I do, and I think I think you know we should break out the shops. I think we're not um, talking as much as we should about these things. Now you mentioned the uh, the falling costs of uh, renewable energies. Uh, does that mean that there's also a strong economic case for uh, changing our energy mix? Yes, absolutely. There's a strong, there's a strong case, um, both from the point of view of economics, from the point of view of energy security, not only energy security for the nation, but for pieces of the nation to be able to generate uh, your own electricity and store it at home. Um, those are, are all factors that I think are not talked about enough. Isn't it Australia's responsibility to help those people in China and India to give them our cheap coal? I think it's our duty to give them um, cheap products made with cheap renewable energy because uh, as our trading partners, they are going, they're not going to want to be put at disadvantage as they go forward 
uh, in meeting their goals for the Paris Agreement. Um, and so they're going to want trading partners that help them meet their carbon footprint as well. And so I think that's where we have a duty. That's not even talking about the enormous benefits, especially for places like China and India, uh, in terms of air quality. Um, this is For China, this is probably as much a driver as climate change in lo- wanting to lower their carbon footprint. Yes, I've seen pictures of them walking up through the main street of Shanghai wearing face masks and smog alerts. It's pretty serious for them, isn't it? It's very serious, and then it's biting economically. It's biting through the increased health budgets. Now, overall, are you optimistic? Is the world going to be able to meet the climate challenge, do you think? I'm a, I am a realist, um, but I can say to you that I've become more optimistic over the past five years than I was before, uh, and that's a good feeling. And the reason is because I see movement. I see movement at the international level. I see movement in business. I see movement at the subnational level, and we all watch at the national level to see movement there as well. Uh, a, a personal question in your own life: Was there a moment at which you thought, "I must, I must do this"? Yes, I think that uh, it's sort of being chief scientist, listening to scientists talk to me about climate change and about environmental issues more broadly because, you know, there are all sorts of environmental issues uh, that humans are, are uh, causing and not thinking closely enough about. I thought this is probably where I could make the best contribution. I love astronomy. That's my. Um, that's where I spent decades of my life. I still love the universe. I still looking up, like looking up at night and um, and wondering how many uh, intelligent life forms there are in the universe. But I also know that in my lifetime we're not going to be traveling to any of those other planets that may be habitable. We need to take care of this one. And I think. The experience of being chief scientist and think, seeing what this could mean for Australians uh, has made me say, this is what I want to spend my life doing. Well, Penny Second, that is a great thought on which to end. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. You're most welcome. Thank you for being here.